0: Cool. So here we are in January. We've had uh, a long run through Christmas uh, talking about the incarnation of Jesus, talking about what his birth means to us. This incredible idea that the king of the universe, the God who created everything, was born into a little barn and born into a small country in the world. And that from that moment, uh, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, the person of Jesus uh, was not, not only born in his earth uh, just to be there and to experience it. It's not like he was on tour, but he was there with a mission and there with a purpose. And what we want to do in this next sort of series uh, is talk about what his mission and purpose was in terms of that time of his life on earth. Uh, What was he here to do? What was he here to communicate? What was his message? What was he here to teach? And uh, we just want to dig into that a little bit. And then, of course, in not too many weeks' times, we'll we'll be at Easter. So we're just going to take an amazing blast through the life of Christ, starting with Christmas, of course, going through his, essentially through his sermons, through his messages, here talking about his uh, central teaching, the Kingdom of God, and then on to uh, Lent and, and Passion and Easter and all of that. So in terms of the big picture preaching and where it's going, uh, that's where we're at. But right now we're just looking at this moment of in time where Jesus was alive and at work on the earth and, and what was his message. And as we do that, uh, there's a sense that um, you know, we as people uh, are, are also wrestling with the desire to be able to communicate to our friends and our loved ones about the relevance of this person, Jesus. Uh, Our culture uh, has Jesus' story in a tiny little box, for the most part, that sort of looks at it as This was maybe a mythical figure, a historical figure, who lived at a time and a place, and he affected the world in that place, and somehow the ripples of his personality and the ripples of his teaching have gone through culture, but somehow that is very, very distant from us, and it's not necessarily relevant to the way we live our lives. And so we're wanting to communicate uh, the relevance of the story of Jesus and the relevance of the gospel to our friends. And beyond that, I think for most of us, we... We really want the gospel to be more relevant to us as people, to us as individuals. Uh, there's a way in which I think even Jake expressed it in his little talk earlier, that that idea of the person of Jesus is is still a little bit too distant uh, to us. Uh, he he affects us. Uh, in, in In some big picture ways, in terms of our eternal salvation, and he has a mission ultimately to restore his his kingdom on the earth but But here and now, in this moment in this life, uh, what does that really mean for me and and that's just comes right down uh, for us to our individual struggles. In life, that moment where maybe you're sitting in your chair uh, like the person Marie described, and you're literally holding your bills in your hand, and maybe they're the bills that you can't quite pay, and you're praying, Lord, which bill do I pray this month? What do you have to say to me? And for some of us, it's just very, very real and very, very present. Lord, my friend doesn't know Jesus and I can see these patterns of brokenness in their life. Lord, what could I possibly say to them that would help them unlock their their addiction that's binding them? Or even for ourselves, Lord, uh, I can't seem to break this habit. I can't seem to break through uh, this struggle that I'm having. Lord, what what what's the piece that I'm missing? Uh, how do I how do I stop uh, doing this thing that that I know destroys me? But I but I can't quit. I I can't give it up. I can't stop doing it. Oh Lord, how do I repair this relationship? that's broken. I keep behaving in a way that hurts this other person. How do I change? How do I be transformed? And so inside all of us is just this longing for Jesus to transform us and to do something awesome, both inside of us and, and of course, uh, in the world. And, and these are just very, very real struggles for us. Um, the book that was is really impactful for me at the moment, and often I'm just reading, as uh, a book by a man named Dallas Willard called *The Divine Conspiracy*. This book was written uh, some time ago. Dallas Willard has since uh, passed on, but it's a if you if you have a chance to pick it up, it's available on Amazon or it's available uh, through uh, you know Kindle or Kobo or whatever sort of e-reader you might have. But it's sort of an almost C.S. Lewis level uh, of kind of a deep. Uh, theology but written in language that uh, is really uh, common and easy for us to understand. Every sort of thing that he says uh, has sort of a clear definition and a clear unpacking. This really So first off, I just want to recommend this book, um, The Divine Conspiracy, but I want to point out that there's a spectrum of what we believe about God's kingdom and its activity on the earth, and I want to sort of just paint this big picture of the church and where it's at and just sort of lay out where I think, I hope, we as a church and we as a family want to be. Um, Dallas Willard just says this. He says, history has brought us to the point where the Christian message is thought to be concerned only with how to deal with sin, with wrongdoing or wrong being and its effects. And it has become disconnected from Jesus' positive message of connection with his kingdom in ordinary life. So there's a way in which we see Uh, the gospel as something that saves us ultimately from our sin, which it absolutely is. And there's a way in which some of us see the gospel as uh, something that Jesus taught that enables us to be his agents to effect change in the world. But there's actually something more than that. There's something transformative for us as individuals, as people uh, in the present. Uh, The way Dallas Willard describes it is that those two extremes in the gospel would be effectively the sin management part of the gospel the sin management part of the gospel. And you see this kind of delineation, even politically in the church, uh, from the left and the right. And i got to figure out, I'm looking at this screen and there's that screen. Over here on the left, uh, we would have uh, a, a gospel that is essentially concerned Primarily with the externals, with social justice, with politics, with advocacy, with international development, and we know that God is absolutely all about this. But if you look at the extreme left of um, of the political. Sort of environment of the church in North America, you would see churches that have really camped on this as part of the gospel, that they are absolutely going to live or die on, but they have abandoned uh, the, the standard message of evangelicalism that says, Jesus died for our sins, and he's saving us, and he's ultimately uh, repairing our relationship with him so that we could live uh, in eternity, and, that, and that's that group over here on the right. Right? And this is where uh, most sort of conservative evangelical churches would camp. But in some cases, some of those churches would be so far out in this extreme, which is absolutely right and absolutely true, preaching uh, what Jesus Christ has done on the cross as the thing that transforms us and sets us free from our sin and ultimately restores our relationship with Jesus, but doesn't see the gospels and doesn't see Jesus' teaching as something that's meant to affect change in the world, bringing justice and truth and right and and, and goodness, right? So we have those two kind of extremes in in the church, and obviously, we as a church, we recognize the value of both. We recognize that Jesus wants to do justice on the earth. We want to serve. We want to help. We want to do um, mission, and all of that kind of thing. That's our passion. We believe in that, and of course, we believe on this bit way over here in the right. We are absolutely going to preach the gospel and tell the story of how Jesus Christ died for our sins, and He wants to transform us. <clears throat> But it's so critical for us to see those things and to, as people, not be looking at them as an either-or or a both-and, but even more than that, we, we just know that there is something more, that when you see those two boxes over on the left and over on the right, that there's actually something missing in the middle and again i don 't want to take anything away from those boxes. Those are absolutely the Word of God to the earth. He does want to save us for our sins uh, from our sins and and have eternity with him and He does absolutely want us to be agents of his uh, Kingdom and of his glory in the earth, but there is a hole there; there is something in the middle there 's a limitation to that gospel uh, that is just focused on sin management, the management of the brokenness of the world and the management of our of our personal sin uh, and Dallas Willard says it like this: neither the left nor the right lays down a coherent framework of knowledge and a practical direction adequate to personal transformation towards the abundance and obedience, uh, spelling error, uh, emphasized in the New Testament with a corresponding uh, redemption of ordinary life. The left and the right lays down a coherent framework of knowledge and practical direction adequate to personal transformation. Both extremes don't recognize that idea that, that we can be transformed, that we can experience an abundance of life, that we are called to walk in obedience to Christ as apprentices to him, and that uh, that's what's emphasized in the Gospels, and that is meant to impact us in our ordinary life, in our day-to-day. Another way to say it is this. God wants to save the world, and he wants to save our eternal souls. He also wants to save our living days in the here and now. He wants salvation to be present to us in the here and now. Not just a distant future, not just external to ourselves in terms of how we interact with the world, but what makes it really work and what makes it happen is that salvation of ourselves in the here and now, the coming of his kingdom, and how we interact with him in the day-to-day, and I just call this abundant life management. It's not just about sin management, it's about abundant life management. It's about how do we receive the abundant life of Christ and how do we walk in it? How does that uh, transform us? The gospel message must naturally and presently connect us with entrance into the abundant life of Jesus' kingdom and apprenticeship to him. The missing component for us is ultimately discipleship. The missing component for us is how do we relate to this person, Jesus, who is still alive and at work in his world, and how do we let ourselves be led by him and grown by him and transformed by him in the day-to-day in a way that affects us beyond just, again, our preaching of the gospel of the cross, which is absolutely critical, and our action in towards social justice. Okay, so we want the whole picture, we want the whole Gospel. we want all of what Jesus has to offer uh, it 's all a part of him and and that is the invitation to the kingdom of God that is the invitation to the understanding of god 's kingdom and 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 what it means and this idea of God's kingdom is so important. It's I, I just can't uh, stress enough like how central that idea is to Jesus' teaching. If you read the Gospels, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and and John, uh, Jesus was preaching about a way of living and preaching about a way of being and preaching about relationship with God that was just meant to be something that was very 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 present. Uh, to us, and not only was it present to us in this time and space, but he was making it present in that he was demonstrating it through miracles and through healings and through uh, deliverance and through all of the really uh, the miraculous practical that he did, uh, absolutely transforming people 's lives like just think about how high and amazing and crazy it must have been to see. Jesus perform a supernatural miracle in someone's life and how sort of elevating that experience would be. But then imagine if you're the guy who opens his eyes and sees for the first time his loved ones. How in the nitty gritty that was. Jesus bringing heaven to earth, the presence of heaven in the real world. So we're all about seeking the abundant life of Jesus and seeking the kingdom. And uh, there's lots of different places we could start with that, but I want to start with uh, the book of Matthew, chapter 6, uh, verses 25 to 34. And I'm going to read uh, a little bit different version of this, but, uh, but just, just enjoy this as we read this together. I just like the way it's formulated in a bit of a, a more modern sort of uh, conveyance. My advice would be not to worry about what is going to happen to you about what you will have to eat or drink, or about what clothes you will wear. Your life doesn't consist of eating. And there is much more to your body than clothing. Take a lesson from the birds of heaven. They don't sow or reap or hoard away in granaries. And your father... The one in the heavens around you. And you'll see this phrase used, the one in the heavens around you. I just want to highlight that for a second. Uh, When we speak of the kingdom of heaven, um, often we think we're speaking of the kingdom of the place that is way far up in the sky with streets of gold right isn 't that what we 're sort of thinking about uh, and that 's sort of a, a a way that the translation of the scriptures has has sort of met us with where we 're at and sort of our sort of common definition of what heaven is, but when that word was spoken, and we 're going to actually not unpack that so much this week but next week, that idea of heaven is is actually the atmosphere, and that 's sort of the word that Jesus was using. In the scriptures, that, that the heaven is the atmosphere. It's the air that is all around you. It's the air that you're breathing. So when Jesus was talking about the nearness of the coming of the kingdom of God, he wasn't talking about that kingdom of God that is way up there in the heavens, the place with streets of gold. He was talking about a place that was very, very near us, all around us, in the atmosphere around us. And that's what that word sort of meant in the, in the language that Jesus was speaking at that time. So that's just a neat formulation of it uh, in this uh, translation of the passage. Uh, your father the one in the heavens around you sees to it that they have food. Aren't you more important than birds? Who can change their physical features by worrying about them? Believe me, I've tried. Believe me, I've tried um, by worrying about them. And as for worrying about clothes, well, look at the little flowers out in the fields, they just pop up. They don't slave away getting or making clothes, but King Solomon in his best outfit was not as glorious as one of these. Now if God so adorns the grasses which are here for the day and the next are burned for fuel, won't he even do better by you? You mini-faiths. And I like that. That's a pretty good moniker for me sometimes. I'm I'm definitely like a mini-faith. Uh, not a mega faith. Sometimes a mega faith, but a lot of times mini faith, right? Um, so don't worry about little things saying, what are we going to eat or what are we going to drink? Uh, will we have anything to drink or what will we wear? Those are all the concerns of people who don't know God at all. And isn't that challenging? Jesus. Jesus uh, in, in most of our translations, Jesus says, or we read it, the pagans run after those things. But the people who don't know Jesus at all, that's a concern of somebody who doesn't know Jesus. That's not a concern for somebody who knows who God is. Sort of what he's saying there, right? For your Father, the one in the heavens around you, knows you need these things. Instead, make it your top priority to be part of what he is doing, part of his kingdom, and to have the kind of goodness that he has. Everything else you need will be provided. Tomorrow, don't worry about it. You can do your worrying about tomorrow tomorrow. And anyway, enough will happen today to keep you in things to worry over until bedtime. Thank you very much for that encouraging word. (laughs) <laughs> right? Uh, there, there's enough to worry about now. Don't worry about tomorrow. Don't carry it. He will be there and he will be present for you. And of course, this whole thing of worry is a is a huge challenge for us. And the whole thing that Jesus is addressing of finance is important. And usually when we preach on this passage, that's sort of what we're preaching about. Is deca- decouple your concern and your stress and your worry and your attention from provision and attach it to the kingdom of God, and trust God to provide for you, right? That's sort of the primary message we preach out of this passage. But I want to sort of just take a tiny step back from it and see uh, just just a little bit of a bigger idea. A part of what Jesus wants us to understand as he calls us to seek his kingdom is the nature of the God whose kingdom we seek. What he's doing here is he's, he's saying, okay, if you want to seek the kingdom, if you want to see it, look at nature, look at what's out there, look at the world, uh, but but you really want to understand the God that I see. The God that I relate to. Remember, Jesus is very God. He is God. We look at the picture of the Trinity, even back to the book of Genesis, creating the whole universe. uh, There's that awesome plural word that describes the way that God created us the we. And what we interpret that is looking back at that passage in Genesis is that we're talking about the community of the Trinity who experienced uh, the creation story. So Jesus, Father, and Holy Spirit together creating uh, the earth, creating mankind in perfect community. So Jesus, in perfect community with the Father, now walking the earth, says, I want you to understand uh, the God that we're worshiping. I want you to understand the God whose kingdom it is that I'm talking with you about. I want you to see uh, the incredible beauty, power, and goodness of God and his creation as Jesus knows it. To understand the kingdom of God has to start with uh, a glorification of and an understanding of the beauty of God and who he is. It comes, to, it comes down to that. Uh, there's a man named Adam Clark. He was a British theologian. Uh, in, uh, he, I guess probably he was writing mostly you know, in his 30s and 40s, so writing around the turn of the century. Uh, but but living and ministering on for for many years. And sometimes just reading some of these old theologians, and this is just a quote from the book Divine Conspiracy that I've been uh, talking about, but sometimes reading these old theologians just kind of gives us a sense of the bigness and, and the grandeur of God. And, and it's kind of thick reading, like it's the kind of thing that we, I'm like, this does not look like what I saw on a Facebook post yesterday. Uh, you know there 's a the level of writing here that goes beyond what we 're used to but uh, but I think it 's just really, really good to to connect us with these big pictures uh, theologically of who God is. Let me just read uh, this description uh, from Adam Clark: God is the eternal, independent and self existing being, the being whose purposes and actions spring from himself without. Foreign or outside motive or influence. He who is absolute in dominion, the most pure, the most simple, the most spiritual of all essences, infinitely perfect and eternally self sufficient, needing nothing that he has made, illimitable in his immensity, inconceivable in his mode of existence, and indescribable in his essence known fully only by himself, because an infinite mind can only be fully comprehended by itself. In a word, a being who from his infinite wisdom cannot err or be deceived, and from his infinite goodness can do nothing but what is eternally just and right and loving and kind. He is a big, big God. I, I wrote this this sermon and thinking about this illustration that's coming up uh, last week, but um, had an amazing experience last night uh, just walking uh, from... Uh, Equator Coffee was having their Christmas party. They do it outside of the Christmas rush, and they do it in January, and I was there as my wife's uh, plus one. She's working uh, in production there and really uh, loving what she's doing. And as I, as I walked out of the party, it's about... Uh, you know, maybe 10.30, 11 o'clock at night. And we were up in Calabogie, and it's a little bit distant from the city, and the sky is dark, and there aren't a lot of lights. And I walked out of the blazing uh, light of the building and the warmth of that and walked in the cold out to go get the car. And because we got there a little bit late, as is often our way, the car was parked quite a bit down the driveway. And as I walked away from this uh, restaurant that we were in, my eyes began to adjust... Uh, to the to the darkness, and, and I looked up, and, and I could just see in splendor the stars uh, of the heavens just laid out before me like we don't often see uh, here in town, or we don't often see even so close to the city of Ottawa, and as I walked uh, away from the barn, and I looked up at uh, uh, you know, between the trees going down the road, I could see uh, the big Dipper, and at this time of year it 's just sort of tilted on its end, and you could see just how clearly that constellation is visible and I continued to walk down the road towards the car and turn direction and I, as, I, as I walked, the trees opened up again, and I could see laid out before me the constellation Orion. In all of its splendor, with all of the stars of heaven all around it, in the crisp cold of that winter uh, night and as i as I looked at it, I realized I was looking at the at the next image that was on my slide that i 'd prepared uh, days before uh, that star that 's at the bottom corner down here that you see in in orion and i 'm not sure how well you can see it, but near that star at the bottom corner. Uh, when you zoom in on that with the Hubble telescope, you see something that was actually discovered long before the the, the Hubble telescope in 1888 by Scottish, Scottish astronomer Wilhelmina Fleming uh, in, again, 1888, and a nod to a female scientist in the 1800s. Uh, but she saw something uh, called that we now call the Horsehead Nebula. And that's a close-up of the space that is... Impossible for us to see with our naked eye, but it's a, it's a piece of, of space that's out there near that constellation Orion. And if you zoom in farther, you see it like this. And of course, this is recolored and, and photo adjusted uh, by uh, techno geeks in NASA's uh, buildings somewhere. It doesn't quite look like this, I'm sure, through a real telescope. But we see there this, this nebula, this incredibly beautiful piece of the heavens that God has created. It's it's 1,500 light years from where we are now. It's 3.5 light years in diameter. And it's laid out there in the heavens for us to see. And it's a tiny, tiny fraction of the galaxy as God's created it. And a tiny, tiny fraction Of the universe that he's made. Glow from behind it. It's backlit by hydrogen gas that's illuminated by stars in a stellar nursery. Incredible powers uh, that are there in terms of a nuclear reaction in those stars generating light and heat and energy that is traveling through space across millions and millions and millions of miles to enter into the light of our telescopes and enter into our eyes in ways that we can't see. God has created this in its splendor and its beauty and it's a tiny, tiny fraction of the world that he's made is a big and glorious God. And the peace that we need to understand as people from reading this passage in the book of Matthew, what Jesus is saying is see the beautiful things that he has made. Are you not much more valuable than they? Are you not much more valuable than the horsehead nebula? Are you not, how much more will he clothe you? Think of the vastness of the power of God. He is more interested in you than that massive 3.5 light year piece of his creation that is a painting in the sky that he knew would only be seen when humanity reached the point where it could develop the technology to even see it. He is much more interested in you. He has invested incredible power and imagination in designing and making and holding together his splendor-filled creation. Incredible intelligence an incredible investment of power. And the power and imagination that he invested in that is less than that which he intends to invest in you. That's what Jesus was saying about the kingdom of God. That is the kingdom we inherit. That is the love of the God that we know that is poured out for us. It is so much more than we could ever, ever, ever ask or imagine. He loves us. He intends to invest in revealing his beauty in us. More than that. More than that. He loves you. And so what we're going to talk about in the weeks that come as we talk about the presence of heaven here on earth that came with the coming of Jesus. We're going to talk about a connection to that God that goes so far beyond uh, what we can understand. He has so much more for you. He died for you on the cross, to save you for all eternity of relationship with him. He taught us things to teach to the world that we would do justice in it in the way that he wants, reshaping it into uh, that beautiful creation that he longs for. But right in the middle of that, for you personally, he is invested in you, in the here and in the now. He longs to transform us. He longs to make us new. He longs to set us free. And and his power is not far away in the future or external to us. It is all around us. And it's that knowledge and that understanding that energized the life of the early church. And when he says, seek first my kingdom, that's the kingdom that we seek. Let's all stand. We seek your kingdom, O God. We seek your kingdom. Open our eyes to see your power and your glory. Would you release faith among us to know that we can... A uh, call on you, that we can call on your power, that we can call on, on your wisdom, on your knowledge, on your understanding of the world, on the way that you see the world that you made, that that is in, in ways that we have barely begun to understand available to us. Call us to lives of listening, as Jake prayed earlier, of devotion, of silence, <laughs> of connection with that. That we would live lives that are transformed and empowered. That we would live the fullness of the gospel. Fill us up, O God. You're so amazing. You're so amazing. Release faith and hope in us in a new way, Lord. Set us free from Uh, our small imaginings and and open us up to your much, much larger world. Let your kingdom come, Lord Jesus. Let your kingdom come. Let your church rise up. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.